I didn't want to share this with the children here, but uh, I was thinking while you were singing there, I'm trying to save my voice is mess today with a cold, but uh, I was thinking about how, I don't remember this, and I, I still don't, I have a hard time believing it, but apparently I was kicked out of two nurseries at Fruitdale Baptist Church because of my behavior, and I guess my mom says that's true. And I used to do things like when you were singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing when I was a little general conference Baptist boy, I would always sing to the top of my lungs, Hark the Harry Angels Sing. And uh, God says to me, you know, laugh it up, funny boy. Someday you're going to be a pastor. No! I just didn't want the kids to start doing that because I'd, I'd feel so guilty. So I also changed other, other songs. Uh, Thou wilt find a solace there. For me, was always... Thou will find a shoelace there. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Pittman corrected me in uh, kids' singing time on that, so thank you, Mrs. Pittman. Take your Bible, if you wouldn't turn to Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Now I want to share uh, a personal uh, struggle that I had as we begin to think about what's in this particular passage it really, uh, you know, it happened just 25 weeks ago when I wrote this, uh, uh, somewhere right in that area. But I just want to say God is good to me, and all my whole life, he has done things on purpose to me all the time. And uh, that, that's been very clear. Uh, a current uh, true story, I was asked by some people to attend and you can call it whatever you want, a party, a meal, a, a good time with people, at an outdoor picnic at a place I didn't really want to go. And uh, I would not normally even consider going to such a thing. And I thought, no, uh, these are my thoughts, literally, no, uh, that's not my idea, and it's not Noel's idea, let's drag her in on this, that's not Noel and I's idea of a place to go. And so I was coming up with all kinds of reasons why I could say, uh, thank you, but we're not going. Or, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe my dog would die or something. I could go stay home for a funeral. And I don't have a dog, so we had to think about, are we going to buy one, you know. Uh, but anyway, that whole thing. And uh, there, I thought there would be too many things there that I'm just not accustomed to, people I'm not accustomed to, and uh, some of them not comfortable with. So why would we go? Uh, but they went out of their way to graciously invite Noel and I. And I just thought, it's because I'm starting to feel guilty. Man, I don't know. I don't know. And I talked to Noel about it, and we we're trying to think of different excuses we could use. That would, they would say, oh, that's a fantastic excuse. You don't have to go. We couldn't come up with any. And uh, that morning, I came to church, and I sat down to work on my sermon, and I opened to this next passage, which is where I was when I was writing the sermons, I opened to this next passage that I would preach on, and I thought, oh, God, you did it again. How dare you? Uh, guess what God had waiting for me? This passage. He knew that that passage was for that week. He knew that I was going to have this struggle that week. He knew that. You can't tell me he didn't. It was a setup. Now I know that, and you know what? Uh, there, there it is staring me in the face and normally I just start with the Greek text and start you know, translating and stuff like that but I'd already read the English part of it I knew where I was going with this and I just kind of leaned back in my chair and thought about other happy thoughts because I knew that he had picked this up for me and so I've had this preached to me already then today and uh, 
the issue became, Greg, are you going to obey? <laughs> Please, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to go. I don't want to obey. Uh, you know, you know that I don't want to. And uh, you, you don't know what God has for you. So I, I came to that realization. Well, maybe it's not where I want to go, but I don't know what God has for me there. Maybe he has something for me. And I, I believed that the message could not be any clearer. There was no coincidence between me wanting to turn this thing down and not go and not, not be in that place uh, than this passage. This passage said, really? <laughs> are, are, are you kidding? Because see, I'm the kind of guy that if I was invited to a meal that Jesus is invited to here today, I wouldn't want to go to that either because of who was there. And so uh, this is the problem. And so finally I, I decided I just needed to obey, right? There was an attitude adjustment that took place even before I could dive into the message. So I did. And uh, we went. And I don't know what God did out of that, but uh, we did okay and got to talk to a bunch of people. And uh, hopefully he'll, he used that somehow. But anyway, uh, God does that all the time. Has he ever done that to you? You ever been struggling with something, didn't want to do it, and you open your Bible, and oh, no, there it is. It says right here, black and white, what I should do. I don't think I'm the only one, but anyway. In looking at chapter 9, 9 to 13, uh, we're, we're talking about Jesus doing some traveling some places. He's casting out demons. He is healing people. The scribes and the Pharisees uh, have an attitude towards him, and he just healed a guy and told him, your sins are forgiven. Then he said, get up and walk, and the guy got up and walked. And so in verse 9, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. Now, there's more background to the story, and we'll, we'll get that in a minute. Uh, many, get this, tax collectors and sinners came. All right, here's Jesus, most holy of all that there are on the planet Earth and ever has been, ever will be, perfect in every way. And he's going to sit down and eat with some tax collectors and some sinners. And they came and they were dining with Jesus and his disciples. See, if you're eating a meal with somebody, that usually implies fellowship. And so he's fellowshipping with these folks, not in a, not in a spiritual way, because unless they knew Christ, they, they couldn't have a, a spiritual one. But anyway... The Pharisees saw this, and they said to his disciples, notice they always go to his disciples, hardly ever just attack him. They said to his disciples, hey, uh, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he doing that? But when Jesus heard this, he said, is it not those who are healthy? It is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I despise, I'm sorry, you know what, I've got this cold, I can't see the text. I'm going to say stuff I shouldn't say. Here, that's better. I desire compassion, that's better. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call righteous, but sinners. So who are we spending our time with? Our righteous friends? Or do we ever launch out and spend some time with sinners? Well, that's where we're going to that. Sitting in the tax collector's booth, 
And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Nobody wanted to go to the tax collector's booth. They didn't like the tax collectors. They didn't want to be there. They know they were going to get taken every time they go. And here's Jesus close enough and has observed long enough. Hey, get, get up here and follow me. He said to a tax collector. So Jesus calls another sinner to become one of his inner circle of disciples. Why would you pick a guy like that? Nobody likes him. Well, Jesus picked him. A tax collector, no less, is what Jesus picked. And Jesus calls an enemy of the Jews to be his disciple. Now, Luke 3, 12 to 13 is going to shed a little more light on this for us. All right, Luke 3, 12 to 13. And we're going to be looking at some of the synoptic uh, comments so we can get the full story. Luke 12 to 13. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, that's John the Baptist, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to do. So what's a tax collector? Well, it's a Jewish guy that is working for the Romans, and he's taking taxes, and he's not honest. And John the Baptist says, You guys want to know what to do to repent? Stop cheating everybody. So if the tax was $50, you guys collect $70, $20 goes in your pocket, and then you give Rome $50. Stop doing that. Take what you're supposed to take and stop it. So tax collectors were thought of as those who supported Rome, plus they were dishonest by taking more tax than was due uh, and pocketing the extra. All right? They were hated by the Jews, and uh, at least, at the very least, they were disliked. Jesus said in Matthew 18:17, and I'm going to read that for us, Matthew 18:17, about uh, somebody that's uh, in sin, and you go and talk to him. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, the church, then uh, tell, tell it to the church, and if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, an unsaved person. Uh, they would call them a dog and nobody liked them, and yet Jesus just picks one uh, to be one of his close disciples. So uh, they're to treat this unrepentant brother like he was somebody that has no relationship to God, doesn't know him at all. Matthew was probably also uh, collecting tariffs on the goods that were coming by water to Capernaum across the Sea of Galilee, uh, and all of Antipas's territory, uh, he helped collect taxes on that. No one was happy to see him. No one wanted him around except Jesus. Can you think of a time when you did that? A person you see is getting shunned. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to be around him. And you step up and say, I'll be your friend. Doesn't say what the disciples thought. Maybe they've learned enough uh, by this point to keep their mouth closed. Jesus sees the heart of a person, and he makes his decision about that person from that vantage point. Everybody else looked at him and said, well, he's a tax collector. He's worthless. He's no good. He's a cheat. He's a thief. Doesn't deserve to follow us with Jesus. Jesus saw a person worth investing in. Why? Because he looked at the heart. Someone worthy of his time. <clears throat> Matthew is going uh, to now go to seminary under Jesus. He's the head, headmaster. And he is going to be a teacher in training. Have you, have you noticed that Jesus picked a total of zero elders of Israel, zero religious leaders of Israel, no people uh, on the upper echelons. He didn't pick the high priest. He chose no one. 
He chose common laborers. He chose fishermen. And now he chooses, a, <laughs> I hate to say it, a tax collector. No one else would be in his inner circle but these guys. Who is Matthew? Well, uh, he has a Jewish name, which also uh, is Levi. And uh, he is the son of Alphaeus, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 14. That's where we get this information. As he passed by, he saw Levi, and that's Matthew's uh, more Hebrew name, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, get this. And he, Matthew, got up and followed him. And it tells us in the text of the, of the synoptics, he left everything. He just gets up and leaves everything. I, I don't know that you leave the cash on the table or something like that. Maybe he had a helper, but he gets up and it says he, he leaves everything. Uh, it's all behind him. Matthew uh, is a Greek name, and it's derived from uh, the Hebrew. And his name means gift of God gift of God. He is designated as the son of Alphaeus in Mark, and he responded correctly to Jesus. We've seen other people that did not respond correctly to Jesus, and Jesus called him to be a disciple, to follow him. He got up, and he followed him, and he left everything behind. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Hope you can get through this. Um, Luke 5.28 says that, so you can look it up and see. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but that's what you'll find there. Now, in verse 10, as we move into the main body of this, we learn that Matthew held a reception or slash banquet at his house. Now, this is a guy that is rather wealthy. At his house for Jesus. And guess who he invites to be with Jesus, his new leader? All his tax-collecting buddies. Hey, I'm throwing a party for Jesus. We're going to have a banquet. I'm paying for everything. Don't worry about it. And I want you all to come. He invited his tax-collecting friends as well as other, let me say, irreligious Jews. People that were, everybody knew were sinners. So here's Jesus in this nice big home of Matthew, and he's going to eat with Matthew for the first time there in his house that we know of, and he invites all these sinners and all these tax collectors. Uh, Would you want to be there? Uh, You know, I I think I'd have second thoughts about that, and I'd want to know, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go. Uh, but this is not the case. The disciples also went. Jesus is eating with this group with his disciples. Eating together is a sign of fellowship. All right, that raises a red flag in all the Pharisees' minds. The way the Pharisees read scripture, one is not supposed to keep bad company. And by the way, that, that, is, a good, that is a good maxim to keep in mind. Don't hang around with bad people. Uh, uh, and what that means is don't become one of them. It's the hardest thing in the world to hang around with bad people and not be bad. It's the hardest thing in the world to hang around with people and not become like them. But with the power of the living God, you can do it. Anyway, the Pharisees read scripture this way, don't don't keep bad company, which also meant to them, don't eat with bad company. All right, Proverbs 13, 20. It's not going to say anything about eating with them, but it's the principle of it. And this is where they would have gotten that because it, it really doesn't say you know, uh, not specifically don't sit down and eat with tax collectors and sinners. But anyway, uh, we go to, it's in your bulletin there, Proverbs thirteen twenty. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Okay, and I'm going to read that verse. It says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
you go right across well, my Bible, across the page to verse uh, 7 of 14. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. And so because of those texts and others like it, they say Jesus is wrong for being there in this group of people. Here is Jesus reclining, and that's how they sat at a table to eat, reclining in the house of Matthew, the tax collector, obviously eating a good meal. Matthew could afford it. You know, it's not like he's having, you know, pea soup or something like that. Uh, he's eating a good meal provided by his newest disciple and all his buddies, who are almost all sinners. I think we see a little of the heart of Jesus. When, when he looks at this man, and he looks past what he does for a living, I don't know how he looked. Maybe he wasn't, wasn't a very handsome guy either. But he looked past all the exterior, and he looked to a heart. And I think we see a little of the heart that Jesus saw when Matthew was willing to pay for a meal like this and get everybody in to meet the Savior. Matthew invites all his friends just to meet Jesus. I think because of what we know about Matthew later on, I think this guy was doing an evangelism outreach with a meal. And we used to do that in Dallas, Texas. Noel and I worked uh, with a guy, we volunteered with a guy who paid uh, thousands and thousands of dollars to have the upper crust of Dallas, Texas come to a, a golf course and uh, eat, eat in their banquet hall and served by these very gracious people. And, you know, there were judges and lawyers and doctors and all kinds of stuff in the whole room. And I remember wanting to uh, stick a name tag on one of the ladies' uh, shoulders up here. And she goes, oh. He said, son, you don't put that on a silk dress. Oh, excuse me. I didn't know it was silk. I said, I just handed it to her. I think she probably folded it in half and, and threw, put it in her purse. But the point is, uh, this guy was not uh, opposed to reaching people. Nobody else was reaching. Nobody else had the money to reach him like he did. And uh, Senator Ted Armstrong from Colorado was our speaker that day. He shared the gospel. Turns out the people we invited, which was my urologist and his wife, we'd gotten real close, and we invited them, and what we uh, learned was that they were already Christians. And so that was great, so then we could hang out with them at other times. But anyway, here's Jesus. He's sitting with all these people. They're having a, a nice meal, and uh, he's eating with these folks. I want, to listen, I want you to listen to what Dr. Turner said here. The term sinners designates those whose behavior was egregious, egregiously, egregiously, excuse me, means flagrantly, ungodly. But from the Pharisaic perspective, it may also include those who did not observe the traditional interpretations of the Bible. He's talking about what the Pharisees say. Matters such as ritual purity, food laws, and Sabbath observance. And here they're upset that Jesus would eat with sinners. Verses 11 to 13. Jesus sends the Jewish religious leaders back to school. Uh, these are the religious leaders. These scribes, they're the ones that copied texts of the scripture meticulously, perfectly, so they could make new ones and pass it on. And the religious leaders, these are guys that had Pharisees in the group that memorized the Old Testament, Testament word for word and could say it to you uh, on demand. And these are the guys that Jesus used to say to, Have, haven't you read this? <laughs> oh, slap in the face. You know I've read it. I've memorized it. And his whole point is, you can sit there and read the word of God, and you don't apply one letter of the law to yourself. And I'm afraid we're guilty of that too sometimes. People who know so much of the word of, the God, word of God, 
and oftentimes do so little. I know, I know uh, me and my friends at seminary were like that. Jesus sends the Jewish religious leaders back to school. <clears throat> These guys don't understand God. Ooh, wouldn't it be nice to go to synagogue and listen to a rabbi who didn't really know God, didn't know Yahweh, didn't have a relationship with him? What do you think you're going to learn that day? In verse 11, let me read that so we don't get off uh, context here. The Pharisees are asking his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Like, this ought not to be done. Uh, another way to put that would be, Jesus is no pure Yahweh follower. He contaminates himself by fraternizing with spiritually unclean people. And he shouldn't be there. That's what they're saying. And so it is true what is spoken in, I'm going to read 1 John 3, 7 to 8 where it says this, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices, practices sin of the devil, for the devil had sinned from the beginning, uh, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus went to the meal to destroy the works of the devil. They thought he was the devil because he was eating with sinners. They grumble about it, and however it is that he found out, either the Spirit of God told him or he overheard him or somebody came and said, Hey, Lord, the Pharisees are after you again. Here's what they said. But they're speaking complainingly uh, and grumbling about what Jesus is doing. And of them, here's a couple of verses that are true, of the Pharisees. And so we'll look those up again uh, or, uh, for the first time. Luke 18. Again, these are all in your bulletin, Luke 18, 9. And he also told a parable to some people, and this is, this is the Pharisees for sure, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed other people with contempt. The Pharisees are always looking down their nose at how bad everybody else is, and, and they just can't get past that. And another one is Romans chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now, you need that information because of the lesson that Jesus is going to teach these guys here in, in just a minute. Well, they decide to ask his disciples, why would he do such a thing? And you know what? Maybe they feel Jesus is a lost cause. You can't reach this guy. He's crazy. He's nuts. Maybe we can try to knock some sense into his disciples. Maybe we can give a little truth to them and say, hey, do, do you see that the man you follow is eating with sinners and tax collectors? What, what else do you need? You need a baseball bat? I don't think that baseball bat. But you need that to hit you in the head so that you'll understand what's going on here? Well, that didn't happen. Somehow, in verse 12, Jesus heard the complaint, and uh, it revealed these hearts of the unrighteous religious leaders, the Pharisees. Jesus replied that the healthy person doesn't need a physician. Those who are sick need a physician. Now, what's Jesus saying? He's telling the Pharisees, uh, these people need a physician. You healthy guys, I think that's tongue-in-cheek. He knows they're not healthy. You healthy guys, you righteous guys, you guys that know everything, you don't need a physician. And I think one of the reasons Jesus would say that is because he knows they're not about to listen to him. And they make that, that very plain later in the gospel. In defining the word for physician that is used here in this text, uh, 
Eatros, or Eatros probably, better. Uh, the Greek Dictionary of the New Testament says this. So this is defining what the word for physician here means. And it means, or, or it says, no physician can produce cures, I'm sorry, no physician who can produce cures waste time among the healthy. And Jesus looked at the response of the Pharisees and said, I'm pretty much casting my pearls before swine, and I'm wasting my time with you. You're not listening. And Jesus said, I'm going to spend my time with people who will listen. And they're your outcasts that you won't do anything with. And a physician does not waste his time with uh, people that are healthy. He's not making a connection of healthy to the Pharisees, though that's what they think of themselves, because he's very clear in the book that they're not. Um, I, think, I think that fed their big egos, and so uh, maybe they had to think about that. The Greek word for doctor here includes those who physically uh, deal in the healing arts, physically, and those who work at healing people spiritually. Jesus did both. Jesus was both a spiritual physician and a physical physician. And he's proven that over and over. The self-acclaimed spiritual get, get, get a spiritual lesson from the Lord. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they say they're, they're very spiritual people. They're about to get a lesson from the Lord. They just, they just step their foot in a doorway they should have stayed out of because it's going to hurt. Instead of being rabbis, teachers, Jesus said, why don't you guys go back to the book you say you believe? Why don't you go back and look at what it really says? You don't get it. You don't understand God, and you don't understand his word. So in verse 13, Jesus tells the spiritual leaders, the high and mighty spiritually, the teachers of Israel, that they don't understand the heart of God. <laughs> Can I focus so much on the word of God? I miss his heart, apparently. Apparently, I could do that. They did it. They don't understand the heart of God. I just can't get it out of my mind uh, when you think about Nicodemus. <laughs> of course, goes to Jesus at night, so nobody knows he's there. And Jesus, basically, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus says to him, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these truths? He didn't say this, but it's what I'm thinking. Are you kidding me? Your life is dedicated to the text. Your life is dedicated to, do, to God. And your life is dedicated to doing what he tells you to do. And you don't know him, and you don't know these simple truths. What happened? Well, that's what he's saying about all of them. And he commands them to go and learn what the prophet taught. All right, so he says, let's go back to the text. And the text he quotes, if you'll turn there with me, is Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Also a very popular verse for us New Testament people. God is, is lacing the people out. He basically said to them, you know what, your loyalty, your loyalty to me is like a, uh, it's like a cloud. It's like fog. The other night, uh, fog rolled in from the east here, and when I left my house in the dark, it was perfectly clear I get to the hospital, and it's just socked in with fog, right? That dissipated the next day. It was gone. And God says, that's your loyalty to me, Israel. You're like this great big cloud. You can do all this stuff. And then uh, out of nowhere, you're just gone. It, it's, just, it's just nowhere. You're like springs of rain uh, watering the earth. That doesn't do any good. Verse 4, your loyalty is like the morning cloud. 
Therefore, God says, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. And so in verse 6, he says, hey, hey, everybody, here's what I'm looking for. God says, this is, this is what I want. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than offerings. Really? Are you telling the Old Testament people you would rather have them be loyal to you than do their offerings? And God says, yeah, really. It sure beats doing offerings without any loyalty. What, what, a, what a crazy waste of time to come to church, to go through the motions, to listen to the sermon, to sing and to pray, and your heart isn't with God. And that's what it would be like. Well, this is uh, where God is taking them and what they need to learn. There's a couple of places we can see illustrations of that rather graphically. 1 Samuel 15, 20. Now this is, has to do with Saul, who from the very beginning didn't do what he was told. He was supposed to kill Agag and all the Amalekites. He didn't do it. He was supposed to kill all their animals. He didn't do it. He saved some, or the, or the people saved some, to sacrifice to God. Hey, God. You should be happy about the fact that we disobeyed you and didn't put everybody to death because guess what? We saved the very best that they have to sacrifice to you. Aren't we great? Somebody pat me on the back. Well, in uh, 20 it says this. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of Yahweh, and I went on the mission that Yahweh sent me. I'm trying to make him sound like a whiny baby. And I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You liar. They're not utterly destroyed. The king is standing right there while he's telling this to, to Samuel, and he's alive. And Samuel said to Saul, does Yahweh have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? The answer to that, by the way, is no, he does not. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, because Saul may be a little thick here, he needs that. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. All right, you thought you could do the wrong thing and then get, get right credit for a sacrifice, which shouldn't even be here. And then he says in verse 23, for rebellion, marah, casting off the restraints of God, rebellion is as sin of, of the sin of witchcraft or divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of Yahweh, and you're the king, you know better, he has also rejected you from being king. Ouch. A lot of people try to do something religious, which is, you know, maybe a right thing to do, but they do it a wrong way, and then it's not right. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1. God minces no words here. Isaiah 1, 11, 17, he knows exactly what he's dealing with in his people. Uh, they're corrupt. They've abandoned Yahweh. But they bring their sacrifices. So in Isaiah 1, 11 to 17, God is saying, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says Yahweh? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams. Wait a minute, if, if they take away sin, how could you say that? They don't take away sin. They've never taken away sin. And Hebrews 9 and 10 uh, talk about that. The blood of bulls and goats don't take away sin. It's only the blood of the Lamb of God. The rest of it was an act of faith. And he says, I've had enough of your fat-fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of your bulls, your lambs, and your goats. Hebrews 10.4 tells you why. When you come to appear before me, you, all right, so you show up here at the temple. Uh, let me ask you a question, God says. Who requires of you this trampling of my courts? 